Welcome to Hot Topics in Kidney Health, brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation. Each episode, we highlight the latest in kidney research, bring you up-to-date news in kidney care, dispel myths, and answer your kidney health questions. One of the jobs of your kidneys is to manage your body's levels of potassium, which keeps your heartbeat regular and your muscles working right. Many kidney patients need to watch what they eat to ensure that their potassium levels don't become too high and cause dangerous health risks. On today's episode, you'll hear how to best manage your potassium levels to protect yourself. Hi, my name is Dawn Edwards and I'm a 30-year kidney patient and I am here today to talk about potassium with registered renal dietitian Jess. So hi, Jess. How are you doing today? Hey, Don. Thanks for letting me be on here today. I'm really excited to talk with you, talk about potassium, big, confusing, miscommunicated topic for a lot of people. So I hope we can get some clarity and good ideas for people today. Yes, you're so right. You know, being a patient myself, it's been difficult at times to manage potassium. You want to eat the right thing so that you can stay healthy. And sometimes we get the peas confused, the phosphorus and the potassium. So it's really great that we'll be able to help some people out and give them some clarity today. Well, thanks for letting me be here. It's my pleasure. So let's jump right in, Jess. Um, You know, let's start from the beginning. What is potassium and why do some people with kidney disease need to restrict potassium in their diet? So potassium is one of our electrolytes. You think of electrolytes when you think of like Gatorade and people are working out, you know, so it helps with our muscle firing and our, our nerves so that they can work well. It has a lot of really great functions. Uh, The reason potassium comes on the radar for people with kidney disease is because the kidneys help balance out the potassium in the blood. It's one of their core functions. And so if your kidneys aren't working well, you can start getting some imbalances. And for some people, especially later stages, it can build up and cause something called hyperkalemia. And hyperkalemia can cause your nerves and your muscles not to work right and put you in the hospital. It can be really quite dangerous. It's really easily preventable once you know what to do, but that's really why it ends up being on the radar for people with kidney disease is so that they can manage their potassium levels and know how to make sure it doesn't get too high. Wow, you know, that's that sounds like a really important mineral that you would want to have balanced. I heard you say muscles and nerves, and your heart is a muscle. And I know as a patient myself, um, I've had trouble with neuropathy. So that's something that's really important that we would want to manage. Yep. Yep. The well, and you know, there's a lot of different places where potassium plays into like muscle and nerve function. For people that are early stage kidney disease, not on dialysis yet, potassium is actually a really helpful nutrient because it can help with blood pressure. Uh, for It's really, uh, for some, not even everybody, but for some people on dialysis, you have to be mindful of how much because yeah, it can, too much could stop your heart. <laughs> and uh, too little, also, if you're not eating hardly any at all, you know, cramps on dialysis and other problems like that can can come up for a lot of people. So, you know, it's not it's not it's a nutrient you need some of. It's just if for some people they're not going to balance it, their kidneys aren't going to balance it well. And so they may need to be mindful of what's impacting that level. And some of that's food. 
Wow, that's really important information because I remember when I was in CKD, they would tell me to have a banana or have some orange juice. And then when I started dialysis, I was told not to have those things anymore. So that's really important that we understand the difference between um, having the potassium before dialysis and having it when you're on dialysis. So that was really great clarification, Jess. And Don, just to kind of like pitch onto that just a little bit, one thing that has been really neat in the root, to me, this is really neat. So I started working in dialysis like, you know, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago. And when I started and in my schooling, they say, okay, like people with kidney disease that, that don't have kidney function, they have to follow a low phosphorus, low sodium, low potassium diet. However, what's really interesting is that the research actually has not supported long-term, uh, the research has not shown that a dietary potassium restriction is the most impactful way to control that number. And so over time, what has happened is that if you look at the current research on the quote-unquote renal diet, potassium, the recommendation now is that it is individualized to the person's lab. That means that there are some people on dialysis that can eat a lot of potassium. And there's some people on dialysis that need to eat a little bit, but it's individual for the person. It's not cross the board, like just because you're on dialysis or just because your kidneys don't work, you have to cut it out. And that is amazing because that has allowed a lot of people to increase the variety in their diet and add back in things that they thought were bad, but truly weren't actually hurting them. So Jess... I know we talked a little bit about individualized care and patients being uh, patients being able to have a more diverse diet. I know when I started on home dialysis, potassium wasn't as much of an issue as it was um, previously when I was on in-center hemodialysis. So I understand what you're saying. Um, so who is it that really doesn't need that restriction and, and why not? Oh man, this is a super good question. So there's a lot of different reasons uh, why people may or may not need a potassium restriction. So just kind of overarching with the caveat that every single person, it is dependent on their labs, like period. So these are just kind of broad categories, but really very, very individualized. So for example, what you just said is a super good example. People on home dialysis, because you're dialyzing more frequently, probably most of them don't really need a potassium restriction anymore, or they can have less of one because they're going to be filtering out potassium more often. Now, again, it may not be everyone <laughs> if you want to look at your labs, because there's a lot of things that play into potassium other than food and how much you dialyze. So that's one. Another category of people that may not need as much of a potassium restriction are people that are on hemodialysis, but then still have some residual kidney function. So maybe they're still urinating a good amount, even though they're on dialysis to help clear out uremic toxins or, you know, whatever else. Those people may not need as much of a potassium restriction either. So that's number two. Uh, same thing with peritoneal dialysis. Um, they tend to have a more liberal diet. In fact, a lot of people on peritoneal dialysis actually need to be on a high potassium diet because they lose out so much potassium. And then when you move before dialysis into the chronic kidney disease space, 
it really just depends. It just depends on people's functions, what medications they're on. Uh, there's a lot of factors that play into it. But generally speaking, most people that are stage one, two, three, they don't need a potassium restriction. Stage four and five, maybe, but again, depends on the person. That's really great information, Jess. So that means that us as patients should really consult our dietitians and the members of our care team to help us to um, pick the right diet for us. Everyone is different. Yeah, it really helps out to run it by someone. I mean, if you're proactively looking at your labs for yourself, you can look at your potassium when it comes up and see where it's falling. You know, if it's less than five and it's consistently less than five, uh, then you're in a good normal range. But you kind of want to watch the trend. If you're less than three, if you're less than three and a half, that's really low. You may actually need to add more potassium. <laughs> but you can run it by your doctor, right? Like, hey, like, do I need to really watch potassium? Because my potassium looks like it's normal. And if they're up to date on the most recent guidelines, they can advise you um, with what would be best for you. And a dietitian is invaluable. I got to, you know, give a shout out to my profession. But they're really helpful in being able to discern like, hey, like, it doesn't look like you need a restriction. Like, what do you want to add in? And how much, or maybe if you do have one, food, what's the number one food you're missing? And how much could you actually have? And I just, uh, that makes it's so much more doable on a quality of life. You're so right. That's one of the things that I learned through my dialysis journey is that the relationship with my dietitian was so important because I was able to make those food choices that were best for me. So that's good advice for all of our patients that are out there. It's empowering to be able to have those choices um, and to have that great relationship with the dietitian. That's really important. Dialysis is only a couple of hours out of our life, but most of our nutrition and our health and well-being comes from the things that we do when we're not in treatment. So that was a really great piece to add. Yeah, I, I, that's really, that's really, really, yeah, I just think that's really true. So Jess, I've had some experiences that, you know, from time to time during my kidney journey with something called hyperkalemia. Could you explain what that is? So hyperkalemia is when you have too much potassium in your blood. And when you get too much potassium in the blood, uh, like I mentioned earlier, it really impacts nerves and muscles in particular. So some people have, there's a lot of different ways people will describe the symptoms of it. But essentially, if your potassium is starting to hit over like six and a half, seven, seven and a half, eight, super dangerous. And uh, if your doctor saw that, you'd be immediately given an intervention of some sort. Some people immediately go to the hospital to make sure that that can get taken care of um, because it can be really, really dangerous and, and stop your heart. Uh, so that that's just a little bit about it. I had a nurse, a dialysis nurse once, and he described it to me. He's like, he says, it's kind of like a traffic jam, right? Like you have all the potassium cars going through and then they get too many and then they just stop because they, 
like it's a traffic jam, right? Traffic jam passing. That's not exactly right, but I think it's a good image of thinking about you're not going to be able to move and <laughs> your muscles just stop. Jess, I, I remember that experience and this was many years ago, but it was a really frightening experience. Um, like you said, I lost my muscle control and I had to go to the emergency room. Um, nowadays, um, from what I understand, um, when that when that potassium is elevated, they have binders for that now that can help to keep the potassium level balanced or lower it if it's too high. Is that correct? Yeah. So one of the newer medications that has come on the market in um, yeah, since I started, you know, working in this field, you know, 15 years ago or so, have been the potassium binders. Uh, and they're generally utilized for patients who kind of run on the borderline high side of potassium, just to make sure it doesn't go over. It probably, I don't, I don't know if this was your case, when you had that high potassium, they sent you to the hospital and they had you drink Kaxalate? Yes, immediately. Yeah, the, and that's, that's a typical treatment because it'll just pull down that potassium super quick. But on kind of a, if you're a patient where you have kind of a risk for it to go a little bit too high and it frequently happens, it's not just a one-time thing, then some doctors will prescribe a potassium binder for their patient. Wow, that's great information. Thanks, Jess. So, you know what? How much potassium is okay to eat? Well, uh, it depends. Again, it depends on the person. If you don't need a potassium, potassium restriction, then again, I'd say the more the merrier in some ways, because the if you don't have a potassium restriction, the research that has been done on blood pressure, right, and nutrients impacted, they saw that the best controlled blood pressure was not just from a low sodium diet. The best control of blood pressure was a low sodium, high potassium diet. So for early stage kidney disease, or people that don't need a potassium restriction, having a potassium rich diet, which is a lot of fruits and vegetables, right? Which are good for you in a lot of other ways too, is really one of the most powerful things that you can do. For people that need a dietary restriction, there's like kind of some standard ballparks that people will aim for like 2000 to 3500 milligrams a day. Honestly, in some ways are kind of arbitrary because you have to take that nutrient and go back to food. When I work with patients, what we typically do is we'll look at high and low potassium lists and we'll say, hey, if you need to be conscientious of potassium, you're going to stick primarily with these low potassium foods on your portion size. And if you want to have something that's higher potassium, uh, I'll give potatoes because there's a lot of caveats to it. But if you like potatoes are your favorite thing ever. They're one of my favorite foods. My dad's from Idaho. Like I love potatoes. So if potatoes are your favorite food ever, how are you going to fit that in? Because it's not black and white. Like food is really black and white. Like you can or you can't have it. How many potatoes can you have and how much can you have it? And are there ways that you can modify the potassium in the potato you're eating? And like, that's the conversation that needs to happen. For people that are strictly tracking how much they can have, that can be a good tool to compare to where your labs are. So if you're logging it in a food log and your dietitian's looking at it, you can say, well, you know, I typically eat 3000 milligrams a day and my potassium runs around five and a half. So that's probably pretty close to where I need to be. Maybe a little tiny bit high and I can back this off or I didn't actually record this food. And so that's where I'm getting more potassium from. 
Wow, that's really great. That's empowering information for patients. You know, I started a plant-based diet a few years ago, and I noticed some really excellent results physically. And initially, my potassium went up a little bit, and then um, we I talked to my dietitian about the types of of potassium foods that I should be eating. And we made some adjustments and now I feel great as a result. But I know years ago, uh, if a kidney patient wanted to do a plant-based diet, everyone was worried about not enough protein and too much potassium. So what do you think about a plant-based diet for a kidney patient? Oh, this is the hottest up and coming topic in the kidney world. And uh, I mean, I love plant-based diets. There are so many powerful parts to them. They are totally doable with, with how we think about phosphorus and potassium now, which we just don't think about a renal diet, how it used to be taught. Like when you were a patient, the same diet you were taught then should not be taught now because it's not the same. It's totally different. It's very individualized. And we haven't found any of those restrictions actually really made a difference anyways, <laughs> like in the research. So um, so you can totally do a plant-based diet. Uh, if you're on dialysis, you can do one. Tons of benefits. People will see their phosphorus drop down. I don't. Was that the case for you? Did you see your phosphorus change? Absolutely. All of my labs started to level off and I felt so much better because I didn't have so much meat in my diet. It was so easy to digest and I just really felt an overall better sense of well-being. Yeah, that's and that's what people will notice uh, when they get on a good, smart, nutrient-dense plant-based diet is they'll be like, oh, my phosphorus is down a little bit lower. Oh, like I'm not constipated anymore because I'm in lots of produce. <laughs> it's like I'm, so my potassium goes down then because there's a link with potassium and constipation or uh, I feel better after dialysis. I'm not gaining as much fluid. So if you're doing a good nutrient-dense plant-based diet and you have a good variety, you totally can feel a lot better. And it's very doable. Uh, if you're feeling nervous about it, kind of like what you said, Don, you can start, you can, you know, work with your dietitian before and say, I can't, I want to engage in a plant-based diet. They'll say, awesome. And they'll be like, so excited. They'll get like, they'll like give you a hug if they could, because they're so excited about that. And then they'll talk you through like, well, what is this going to look like for you? What do you like? And, you know, they can help guide you on it. And then they'll probably get labs a couple of weeks after you start just to, to your point, Make sure your potassium's okay. Do we need to modify it just a little bit or, you know, like look at it, just tweak it a bit so it works for you. And that ends up working really smooth for a lot of people. That's exactly what happened between my dietitian and myself. When I went to her for guidance on picking out a meal plan that was right for me, she was so excited when I said I was going to try the plant-based diet. And we sat down and we worked on it together and we picked out some great food choices for myself, things that I really enjoyed and things that were um, easy for me to prepare. So I guess the real main point here is for patients to talk to their dietitians and get that individualized care plan for meals that work the best for them and their blood work. Yeah, I think I think that can be 100% uh, really, really helpful to have that relationship with that person 
and know that they're cheering you on and they're on your team. Um, and I just think it makes a huge impact. And it sounds like it has for you too. Absolutely. I feel great and I'm happy about the foods that I'm eating. And um, again, my blood work is so much more improved now since I've changed my ways of eating. Beautiful. Beautiful. Would you like to be a part of changing the future of kidney disease treatments and care? Join the NKF Patient Network, the first nationwide kidney disease patient registry for people at all stages and types of kidney disease that aims to improve their lives through research. When you join the Patient Network, you'll be asked to share valuable personal experiences via survey questions that are focused on your health, lifestyle, and activities. All your answers are used to study how kidney disease affects people's life in the real world and ultimately find a cure for kidney disease. The NKF Patient Network also benefits you by providing a variety of resources. You will receive individualized education specific to your life, resources for peer support from people living with kidney disease, and access to the latest clinical trials and research opportunities. Join today at nkfpatientnetwork.org. If you have questions or would like to talk to someone about the NKF Patient Network, call NKF Cares at 855 855- NKF Cares. That's 855-653-2273. So, you know, I just want to get some clarity for patients who are maybe struggling a little bit with maintaining their potassium level. Can you tell us what some examples are of high potassium foods? Sure. So if you've identified that your nutrition is one of the number one contributors which it isn't always. So just making that caveat, we always blame the food first. We're like, oh, their potassium side, they're non-compliant. I hate that phrase, right? Oh, they're non-compliant. They're not, they're not eating the right thing. It's their fault. That's right. So much we default to food, and I'll still share with you high and low potassium foods. Right. But truly, truly, food is less often the culprit than other things. It can be a culprit for sure. I remember I had a patient... And he was a school teacher and he had a really tough day one day. It was like a really cruddy day. And he went home and ate a whole bag of potato chips. And he came in for dialysis the next day and we got labs and his potassium was like through the roof. I mean, that was just food. It was just food. Right. But um, if it's kind of an ongoing issue, it's probably not just diet. However, I will say that diet can give you a bridge to help uh, bring your potassium down um, if you're struggling with that. And so understanding, you know, the common ones that we eat in America that are high in potassium. Things like potatoes are very, very common. Uh, it can be a big contributor. Sweet potatoes. And I know these are potato products, but for some reason we don't always clump them in the same place. But French fries, potato chips, mashed potatoes. <laughs> Those are all potato products. These, these root tuberous vegetables have quite a bit of potassium in them. Other things that can have quite a bit of potassium that people tend to eat regularly can include oranges and orange juice, tomatoes. We eat a lot of tomato products in America, whether it's spaghetti sauce or, um, I don't know, the tomato things we eat, a lot of Italian type foods, but we love tomatoes, right? Right. In Mexican food, right? If you make a chili and it's got a really deep tomato paste in it, you're going to get quite a bit of potassium in that. Uh, Those are some big common ones this time of year uh, because of seasonal fruits and vegetables, uh, nectarines and peaches. (laughs) 
<laughs> probably most of us have sat down and eaten like four or five peaches when they're fresh in season because they're so good. And I was like, oh, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> People's potassium's up. A lot of the melons are pretty high. Watermelon is not based on a normal serving size, but it's easy to eat a lot of watermelon this time of year because it just tastes good. Um, so those are a few that are pretty high. Probably some other big contributors can be if people are not watching for it being added into foods. Potassium is an additive into some foods. Um, that would be one place that I would look as well. Uh, coconut products, especially with keto being hot, there's a lot of coconut products on the market. Coconut milk, coconut water has a lot of potassium in it, and those can be contributors as well. So those those are a few. I mean, I didn't, there's there's a lot, but there's actually more fruits and vegetables that are low in potassium than high. That's really great information. You know, I have a lot of friends that are like of Caribbean descent and Spanish descent. So you said root vegetables. Would vegetables like yucca or plantains and beets, would those be considered high potassium as well? Yep. Yep. Don, that's a, that's a good point. I forgot bananas in the plantains. Yeah. Uh, the uh, cassava or the yucca root and the... Um, and beets, some of those good starchy roots vegetables can be high in potassium. The good news is you can swap them, right? There's a ton of good swaps for some of those high potassium foods that work almost exactly the same. So for example, if you really love like a fried potato dish and you like sauteing them up or potato salad, we like to swap out radishes and not raw radishes, but cooked radishes. And if you saute them up with a little bit of butter, they are so good. And you get kind of that same texture. Turnips can work for a lot of people. Also, turnips get a really bad wrap, but they cook nicely as a root vegetable. They don't have quite as much potassium. So you can make little swaps like that and make it a lot easier to still enjoy some of your favorite foods. Or you just like water it down is not the right word, but maybe you're going to do a half a portion of potatoes and half a portion of, of radishes, for example in a dish and so you have less potassium, but you haven't totally eliminated like the product or the flavor that you wanted. Wow, that's really exciting to know. I know I love turnips and that's a, a real cultural dish in the African-American community. So it's great to know that um, I can have those um, even though I don't have a problem with potassium, but it's great to know that others can have them if they like them. Yeah. so. Uh, let me ask you about um, like food labels. That's one thing that, you know, we're always told as patients to look at your food labels before you make your purchases. Now, how can we know about the potassium? Is that on the food labels? Ah. <laughs> I'm sighing just a little bit. So there was a a legislation that went into place to put potassium on the labels, but it's quite misleading right now. <laughs> Some labels are measured accurately and they'll tell you the amount of milligrams and you can utilize that, but not all the time. So if it's like less than 2% of the daily value, then they don't, they can list it as zero. And so I run a dietitian group on Facebook and people will post products and be like, whoa, I didn't know that baked beans had zero milligrams of potassium. It says on the label. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. like that's just inaccurate labeling right now. Because of course they have some potassium in them. But 
So I don't honestly feel like you can trust potassium on the labels right now to tell you the truth. <laughs> I think it's pretty misleading. Um, you can look for it and I'm sure it will continue to improve. But right now I feel like it's a little bit misleading. If it says zero milligram, it may or may not be accurate is what we've just seen from looking at it, which I think is terrible. If you can put it on a label, be right, or like don't have it on there. Um, so the better way to look at it, in my opinion, is there's two things. Is number one, have a good idea of what foods are high and low in potassium. And if you're not sure about that, the easiest way to do that, rather than being like, I gotta memorize the high and low potassiums, is just talk with your dietitian. This is what I typically eat. Are there any high potassium foods that I typically eat that I should be aware of? Because then you're just becoming familiar with what you're already eating. And she can help guide you. The other thing, and you do this with, with phosphorus too, but you can look in the ingredients on the label and see if they have a potassium additive in there. Some foods they do add potassium in there. Uh, and I don't know off the top of my head how much that adds in far as milligrams into a food. But for me, I would still avoid those ones unless it's like the best food in the whole world and you can't live without it, uh, which most of them we can. Um, but I would just avoid those and find a different product. But I know they haven't added anything extra. Just, you know what? I, I think that we just pretty much identified the golden rule for nutrition is to check with your dietitian if you aren't sure. Because like you said, those food labels can be so confusing and you could end up eating something that may not be the best choice for you. So I would guess that the best choice and the golden rule for us is if you aren't sure, check with your dietitian. Yeah, they want to help. Those questions for dietitian when a patient asks them, hey, I, can you help me understand this a little bit better? I'm trying to learn it. That is so fun for us to be able to engage in. And we would way rather do that than collect data points to share in our next clinic meeting. <laughs> like we, we're educators at heart, right? And we love that. And the cool thing is as a patient, and Don, you can tell me if this has been your experience. As you, as you start to learn more, you gain more independence in your choices and you gain more confidence. And so you don't feel, I feel like when people start on this journey, right? Whether it's the initial diagnosis or going into dialysis, super scary because now there's like a bajillion things you feel like you have to be aware of to just stay alive. And every step you take on asking a question, learning what's going to be helpful for you and what things you can do to be mindful in how you're living makes you confident. And then you can make choices, like make real choices on like, if I'm going to have this, you know, big bowl of potatoes, is it going to really impact me or not? But you don't live every choice being in fear. And that, I feel like that is the essence of really, really, really good medical care is that people become independent in caring for themselves. And as a patient, being proactive for yourself gives you so much freedom. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, when I was taught about what to look for and what my blood work was and how to read it and how to read my food labels, I became so empowered and it made me feel like I had control over this disease instead of the other way around. So what you said is absolutely right. Yeah. Nutrition is like, the part of it is about how it nourishes our body and how we 
live with kidney disease. But the other part of it is just feeling empowered and like turning it on its head. I have control over what I choose to eat. No one else is choosing for me, right? I have control over what I choose to eat, which means I can have control over this situation. And that, to me, that's a really important part of health. Yeah. You know, it's definitely a good feeling to be able to make those choices on your own because of the knowledge that you've gained from the relationship that you have with your dietitian, or because you can use the tools that you were given um, by talking to your dietitian. So there's a lot to learn, uh, but in the long run, you feel so much better when you're able to make those choices and have the variety instead of feeling restricted all the time. Yes. So I remember when I first started on dialysis and I used to talk to my dietitian about not being able to eat potatoes. And that was a real big struggle for me. And she told me about leaching or soaking the potatoes before I cooked them. Could you talk to me a little bit about that? Do we still need to do that? Could you talk to me a little bit about what that process is and why do we need to do that? So uh, again, one of the classic recommendations for reducing potassium in tuberous vegetables, potatoes, butternut squash, sweet potatoes, et cetera, has been to soak them. Now, the interesting thing about this, Don, is that uh, some people actually chose to study this. I can't remember who the researchers are, but their studies are are really interesting. And what they found is that soaking the potatoes didn't really do much of anything. Wow. <laughs> it didn't have the effect that people thought that it would actually take out potassium. 90% of the potassium stayed in the potatoes. Now, what they did find, and I'll tell you why this works way better. What they did find, however, is that double boiling them can remove, you know, uh, it depends on how, I mean, you have a big old chunk of potato versus like a shredded potato, but depending on the size of the piece, it can remove, you know, up to 50 to 60% of the potassium. And the reason that there's a big difference there is that when you're soaking potatoes, you're just putting them in cold water and then just sit there and then we're expecting that the potassium is going to move inside the little potato cells out into the water that doesn't have potassium. And that doesn't happen when you heat up a potato and it gets soft, right? When it gets soft, what's happening is all those little potato cells, they're breaking, right? They're breaking down. And when the, those, when those cells break down, it releases potassium into the water And that's why you can remove a lot more potassium. So if you'll double boil them, you can remove a lot more potassium and you can save yourself from having to think so far ahead. (laughs) Three days ahead, I got to soak my potatoes for three days before Thanksgiving. You just double boil them uh, the day before. But the downside of that is, of course, that limits you a little bit on which products are going to be edible because you're not going to double boil potatoes and then fry them because they'll just break but you can double boil your potatoes into mashed potatoes and they work super, super good. Wow. Okay, great. So now I have a challenge for you, a challenging question. Oh, I got Google here. So, (laughs) so canned potatoes are already cooked and they're in water. What's the challenge with 
having canned potatoes and maybe just boiling them again after taking them out the can? Ah, that's a good question. So it would still be the same principles. When they can a potato, it's going to be a heated process. And I mean, canned potatoes are soft, right? They're not hard. So they've right. already broken down some of that potassium. I would drain them and yeah, you could boil, you could boil them again. Okay, so that's good to know. So canned potatoes can be done. Yeah. And I guess I mean, you would be careful of the salt. Yeah, I mean, canned, yeah, the, they're going to still be higher in sodium. Um, and, you know, them, I don't actually know if I've ever cooked with canned potatoes. I, I grew, like I said, my dad was from Idaho. And we were right. tourists. Like, there was no potato flakes, no canned potatoes. Like, we just ate the real deal. <laughs> yeah, you know, I live in an urban environment, and access to fresh foods and vegetables. I particularly noticed this during the pandemic. Oh, yeah. um, it was pretty difficult. And I know a lot of people depended on those canned goods. So that's why I wanted to ask the question. It's a super good question. And you think even Don, like in a situation like the pandemic, or maybe there's an emergency, what are you going to rely on? And you're going to need to use some of those foods that are preserved. And as long as you, you know, you know what's in them. Like you said, they might have a lot of salt. So know how much salt it is. And, you know, if you're draining them, you're rinsing them, just like beans, and then you're double boiling them, you'll probably get some of that salt out as well. So that could be a perk. So that's great information. Uh, okay, so let me ask you this. We want to talk about blood pressure medication. Does blood pressure medication contribute to high potassium? It can. Yep, there is there is a class of meds, uh, blood pressure medications that can raise your potassium levels. If you're going to be starting a new blood pressure medication, if your doctor hasn't told you either way, a, a good question can say, "Hey, is this going to impact my potassium?" And they, you know, they can let you know either way. Uh, usually, if it's going to, and you're kind of on the edge, then they would draw your lab soon after starting it to double check. Let me ask you this. What does potassium have to do with blood pressure anyway? Uh, this is a very chemical biochemistry <laughs> conversation. <laughs> I'm trying to think what the easiest way is to describe it. Like I said at the beginning, higher potassium diet can help bring your blood pressure down on the most simple level. That is it. But beyond that, it's quite a, a slightly complicated biochemistry. <laughs> I'm trying to think how I say it. Okay, so can we talk about if you are having some issues with high potassium, what are some ways that are out now that can treat that high potassium? So like we mentioned earlier, I think the best way, honestly, is to start off with working with a renal dietitian. Only because before you default to another medication or, or adding tons of dietary restrictions, if you can talk with a registered dietitian first, she can sort through, here are the contributing factors that are coming into your potassium levels. Uh, like your blood sugars are way too high. You're a little bit acidotic, you're constipated. Like there's, there's a whole bunch of things that can play into high potassium. Sort through that. And then instead of giving a blanket approach, like, oh, here's your high potassium list. So don't eat anything on that. That's what happens to a lot of patients, which is unfortunate. She can talk with you and say, hey, let's talk about what you eat. Okay. Oh, you drink. Like one of my favorite things in the summer is coconut water. Oh, you drink a ton of coconut water, Jess? 
well, that's probably a big contributor. So what if we just cut your portion down in half and you do lemon water instead <laughs> or whatever? Then you have a really specific intervention that's going to make an impact. And that doesn't mean you're giving up everything that you thought was healthy for you to eat. You're just really getting targeted. That's the first step. If you still cannot get your potassium down into a safe level after that point, um, then you would have a conversation. You can talk with your doctor about a potassium binder, but I would always start at that higher level first. What is the actual cause of my high potassium before I just add on the medication? I think that's honestly the best place to start. Yeah, that's that's great information, and that's a really smart way of looking at it too. You know, one of the things that I've had problems with during the course of my journey sometimes is constipation. Does potassium relate to that in any way? It sure does. So you absorb potassium through your gut, some of the absorption spots. And when people are constipated, you are going to absorb more potassium than you would with the regular transit time through your gut. And the research is really good on that, that more constipation will link back to higher potassium levels. So again, if you're looking at your whole picture, instead of being like, I have to take out all these fruits and vegetables because my potassium is too high. That not only complicates the constipation issue, it will also compound the potassium issue even more. And so that's where you want to go down to the root cause of the constipation is your issue. The potassium is always hanging on the high side. How can we resolve the constipation and not just keep pulling out these foods? But yeah, it's a really, there's a, a really good link there. And I think it's a very important piece that's often overlooked when people have high potassium is thinking about where's potassium actually getting absorbed and, you know, from the gut. Wow. You know, Jess, you've really given us some great information here on how to make wise food choices, the importance of talking to your dietitian, um, how to uh, remedy high potassium if you do have it, and uh, about really individualized care, which is really important, knowing that every patient is an individual and we can't be all lumped together um, as one group of kidney patients. So I just really want to thank you for all of the great information that you've shared today. And, you know, before we end our discussion, I just wanted to know, did you have any final thoughts, anything that you wanted to share with patients that we didn't get a chance to touch on? I think if I could give one takeaway to everyone here today is that if there is one especially nutritious food, like a fruit or vegetable, you're really missing and you have taken it out of your diet to be a quote-unquote good patient, then go talk to your dietitian. Go talk to someone and ask if you can add it back in because I'll, I would put money on it. Like I'm 99.9% sure that that favorite food that you miss, you could put back into your diet in some degree. And that to me is really important that people feel like they have that they can that they haven't sacrificed their life to the kidney disease but they it all works together right i live with this right i don't have to be a martyr for my cause here there are i can have lots of good things that i like and they can work in my diet and i can enjoy them 
and I can still be safe and healthy. So that would probably be the one big takeaway is if there's something you've pulled out, you're really missing, go talk to someone about it and see if you can get it back in your diet. Cause I think you'll find that you can fit it back in. And that's exciting. That is exciting, Jess. So, you know, just to sum it up, kidney disease nutrition today is not the same as it was years ago. We've evolved on a lot of levels. Who would have thought plant-based diets would be something that could be great and, and something that a dialysis patient could introduce in their lives and is actually healthier um, you know, it's been really great talking to you, Jess. I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for all of this great information. And I really think that we are going to be empowering a lot of patients today and also encouraging them to really utilize that great resource that we have in our renal dietitians. So thank you again for your time. I would love to talk to you again about potassium or about some of the other minerals that we may need to con be considered um, in our diet. Thank you, Don. Thanks for having me. I thought it was really fun to chat with you and hear pieces of your story and bring that in. And just think that's important for everyone to feel empowered. They're not alone. There's lots you can do to still enjoy your life. That That's so true. You know, kidney disease is not a death sentence. You can live and you can live well with kidney disease. You just have to utilize those members of the care team that are there to help you and to guide you so that you can live your life feeling good and living good. That's just a note to everyone. Thank you all for your time. And it's been great. Have a great day. As with every episode, we want to give a shout out to a kidney patient celebrating a major milestone. In 1993, kidney patient Tenna was lucky enough to receive the gift of life from her brother Michael. 29 years later, her kidney is still going strong. Congratulations, Tenna and Michael. Thank you for listening. Make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also email us directly with your comments and suggestions at nkfpodcast at kidney.org. We hope you will join us next time. And from all of us at NKF, we wish you good health.